Welcome to Sport Management Review Insights. I'm your host, Vito Subra. The key role volunteers have in putting on sport events is something event organizers are all too aware of. But one aspect that has received less attention from sport event organizers and researchers is the social class of volunteers. And that's what we're going to discuss in this episode. Joining us to consider this is a researcher who's published several articles on sport event volunteering and inclusion. He's senior lecturer in the Department of Sport, Exercise and Rehabilitation at Northumbria University. It's John Hayton. Welcome, John. Hi, Vitor. Thank you for having me and, and thank you for, for reading the article as well. And thank you for joining us from all the way from the northeast of England, the sunny northeast, which is great to see. I think you must have brought the sun out today because it's uh, one day and very few that we get some sun. John and co-author Millie Blundell recently published Exploring the Relationship Between Social Class and Sport Event Volunteering. Uh, John, I think, uh, as I mentioned, just about every sport event organizer and sport event realizes how vital volunteers are. But how does this research help us with understanding sport event volunteering? Well, this research helps us understand sport event volunteering because it applies um, the concept of social class to exploring volunteering, which hasn't really been done uh, much before, if at all, really. Um, And it helps us to unpick, particularly by using a Bourdieu's framework, not only the kind of occupational related factors of of participants' backgrounds, but also the social and cultural um, aspects of their backgrounds and and how it might relate to the opportunities and access they get to volunteer and the reasons why they volunteer. But also it might kind of shine a light onto some reasons as to to why people from different types of backgrounds or social classes don't participate in event volunteering or don't continue to participate in event volunteering. Now, I'm from a working class background myself, and and adding to that, I I grew up in a very different culture within Australia. Um, So my family saw volunteering very differently from the rest of the the majority of Australians. Why did you think it was important to consider social class when we're looking at event volunteering? It's, It's important in the context of social inclusion as well, because it often gets forgotten and it often gets missed. Perhaps people or politicians don't like to consider class or consider that there's many divisions in in society across maybe social class lines and because social class might suggest that there are divisions and differences and then potential inequalities. I think it's an important topic, it's an important concept to look at in, in, in those respects. So John, when I first started reading the paper, I noticed the theoretical framework you used was was Bourdieu's capital in focus. And I shuddered with fear because when I see his name, I think, oh no, I don't know if I'm going to understand any of this. So can you perform the unenviable task of explaining this theory and why it was useful for understanding this issue? Well, I'll try and and do it quickly and, and basically if I can. So within the paper, we focus on three of of the concepts that Bourdieu uses, three concepts in the main anyway. And these are his principal powers or forms of capital, of which there are numerous forms of of capital, according to Pierre Bourdieu. But we focus on economic capital, um, cultural capital, and social capital in in his broader theory or theoretical framework. Um, So we each have different kind of stocks and compositions of, of these types of capitals. And usually they're determined by where we are by our by our local environment, where we're born into, who's, um, who's our friends, our families, our, our affiliations, our work connections. Um, and they help to determine the, the levels of, of capitals that we um, start off with and that we're able to accrue as well. And, and also what we recognize as valuable or maybe legitimate in our social circles, but also our social 
circumstances as well. And, and by that, I could mean the types of jobs or, or roles we perform. Um, and then connected to those is Bourdieu's concept of habitus. And habitus, the things that we're just predisposed to are our dispositions, our attitudes, our tastes, our values, and they're very much informed by our social background and our immediate environment as well. And so we take our cues and we develop or, or take maybe unconscious cues from, from the environment and they form part of us and they shape our attitudes and beliefs and also they, they shape our actions and behaviour. And then taking those things together, the, the package of, of capitals that we have and the resources um, that we have at our disposal helps to determine what kind of social class position or what position that we, we sit within in, in the broader social hierarchy. John, that was an extraordinary, simplified explanation of, of Bourdieu's theory. And I assume it came from the original French, right? Because that's, that's where you got it from. Oh, yeah. I, I speak many languages. I speak English and Geordie to name but two. <laughs> of course. I just want to also ask, why did you think that was the theory that, that's really useful here? The, the frameworks that we use to understand social class or socio, socioeconomic status in the UK, for example, looks at the employment relation of an individual. And really, that only gives you one indicator, one category of understanding somebody's social class, and that's linked to their occupation. But how much can we really truly fully understand from just looking at somebody's, own, from somebody's occupation as to maybe how we can understand their class position um, and the various social and cultural processes that... Um, mean that somebody sits within a certain class position, but also somebody experiences the effects of their social class. Um, as well as considering what we have, the national statistics, socioeconomic classification. And so that, that breaks it down by a person's employment relation. Um, but then an academic and his colleagues, so Mike Savage, then decided, well, let's try something different. Let's bring in some Bourdieu. Let's open that up and let's look at economic capital, which probably has a closer connect to somebody's um, occupation. But let's also look at social and cultural capital. And drawing on a, a Bourdieu's framework, developed a, a Great British Class Survey, which asked a range of questions to participants about not just economic capital, but also their so social capital and cultural capital. And what that did was it provided not just the traditional maybe social classes or socioeconomic informed classes that the NSSEC does, but it also provided seven novel social classes which are based on British citizens' compositions and stocks of these different types of three capitals, so economic capital, social capital, and cultural capital. And then Daniel Friedman and, and Sam, sorry, Sam Freeman and Daniel Lawrenson, they started to apply those similar kind of ideas when looking at aspects of social class in relation to social mobility in elite organisations, um, in mainstream organisations, and also in the um, UK cultural and creative industries. So it just seemed like there was there was starting to be this, this build-up of literature in more mainstream subjects, which I thought, that let's use that within a, a sport event volunteering context. And, and speaking to my co-author, Millie, thought it was a really good idea and we we started to, to kind of build these ideas we had this in front of us we had this this series of four events and um, that we thought that it was just well primed to start to understand a social class in a sport event volunteering context and of course like you say you had those those four events and you um, conducted semi-structured interviews with 46 volunteers was it easy to recruit them particularly in terms of getting them to talk about social class 
It was made easier um, because I had a contact of a contact who was well kind of connected to the organisation, um, England Hockey, that I went and did the, the data collection with and the, and the, and the field-based data collection with. So that gave us access. I was able to get accreditation to the event and that gave me access to just basically rock up and the volunteers in their training days, they were given information prior to the actual event about the research taking place. So they were primed, they were aware of the research that was going to take place. And then I'd sent a participant information or I took a participant information sheet with me. Um, so they were aware of the, the, the broad areas that I was going to be asking them about and talking with them about during the research. And some of them could say, well, I feel like this is my social class. And other people didn't really feel a need to engage with with what their social class was in a direct question. Well, do you feel like you've got a particular social class? Um, and so it was easier to give them the, the social class calculator and to take their occupation, for example, and, and to work out where they might fall on a, on a social class kind of scale. The qualitative interview data that we got that was amassed from that, that field work um, really helped us to to make connections between this Borgesian-inspired framework of social, cultural, and economic capital, and then the experiences and, and kind of facilitators or enablers of these participants to be able to attend, remain, and continue in, in, their vol- in the event volunteering that they were doing as well. And after the analysis, what did you find? What were the, uh, how did it apply to the different capitals? So one of the central findings of the research was that against the Great British Class Survey social classes, over 70% of the 46 sport event volunteers making up the research sample hailed from either the elite or middle classes, so established middle class, technical middle class, or new affluent workers, whereas only three participants were of traditional working class background and there were no volunteers from the precariat, so those lowest in each type of capital. And comparing that to the classification of volunteers by the NSSEC social classification, 74% belong to the NSSEC classes one and two, so the managerial, administrative and professional occupations. Seven were in the intermediate occupations, three in routine and semi-routine occupations, and none who were long-term unemployed. And so the majority of volunteers in the sample came from middle or higher social classes. There wasn't too much disparity between the, the GBCS, the Great British Social Class, social classes and then the the NSEC social classes as well so that was good and I suppose just as a bit of background information with um, Mike Savage and colleagues Greater British Class Survey so they found that there was um, a polarization between the elite the social elite and the precariat in society so there was a big goal for the resources um, that the, the elite have compared to those at the very bottom of society which is a broader base than at the pinnacle of the elite of society. But what it what it also did was it opened out the middle class into three middle classes as well. Um, so three middle class tranches where you had an established middle class, a technical middle class, and um, affluent new workers. So that was that was one part of what we were trying to do. We were able to look at the social composition of that profile of, of event volunteers. And then what we wanted to do was we wanted to understand um, how social capital, economic capital, and cultural capital facilitated um, their volunteering and allowed them to, or, or helped them to continue to volunteering or repeat volunteer in future in the context around that. John, what, what did this all mean? How did this advance our understanding of what's happening with, with sport event volunteering? I mean, the, the, I think the first thing to say is that 
the organization had done has done such a good job in creating this this or building this pool of, of volunteers who are so enthused about about event volunteering and supporting events and, and a, a series of events going forward they've really created a legacy for, for volunteering and event volunteering from within the organization so that's that's one thing that's that's really important and, and we can use those three capitals to understand how this has happened and how the the organization has been able to do that and really has created a legacy for itself in that sense and that's that's i think that's a brilliant thing to do but for me one of the, the things I, I do come back to is the and particularly in in relation to, to cultural capital, which is a really powerful form of, of capital, and it, it demonstrates that you don't just need economic capital to, to get opportunities. The cultural capital is, is 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 so important as well. But the cultural capital and perceptions and judgments of, of cultural competency, um, which are often kind of set and seen as legitimate or set as legitimate from elite social classes upper middle classes and, and middle classes as well and this sense of, of cultural competence uh, what cultural competency looks like particularly in different kind of contexts that this can can transcend from from family background for example and social background into the organizational workplace but what i also think that we see here that also this cultural symmetry um, that can be translated from the workplace into volunteering and so if if one's social background if one's cultural characteristics gives them certain mobility and certain opportunities within within industry within occupations within workplaces and then if if we know that people from middle class professions and and upper middle class and elite professions or established middle class technical middle class classes or new affluent workers as the the great british class survey um would would put them if what they see is is legitimate practice is legitimate behavior and legitimate behavioural codes, which is acceptable and proper in not only the workplace, but if this transfers into volunteering as well, then it not only limits potential opportunities or mobility within within the workplace and within, within organisations, but it also does or has the potential to do this within volunteering and the opportunities that we can find within volunteering and event volunteering as well. So some opportunities in event volunteering will be facilitated by a person's um, cultural characteristics, a person's cultural capital, they might get access and they might get selected to become event volunteers based on institutional capital. So if they volunteered with the organisation before, if they volunteered, for example, at London 2012, um, so they've got that, that kudos and that prestige that comes with that, and that's very in- institutional. And then also the technical cultural capital as well so the technical having the, the hands-on and know-how the hands-on know-how and in particular experience of previous event volunteering and that will help get them access to, to future vol- event volunteering opportunities and so these are all different types of, of, of cultural capital but there's also embodied cultural capital which we've mentioned so those people who bo- embody those kind of traits and characteristics the way they dress the way they speak the way they act um, and the way that they go about their their job, their role, or, or their volunteer position as well, and those kind of indicators of that a person can demonstrate from their their mannerisms, their conduct, the way they talk, the way they act, they are received by gatekeepers. Um, for example, those who select volunteers or event volunteers, and combining all those things will decide or, or play a role in their selection as to who gets these volunteer opportunities to volunteer on these on these major events or these sporting events. As Mike Savage noted, cultural divisions map onto social divisions and our research suggested that senior volunteers and volunteer managers may recruit in their own image 
and, and also deploy volunteers to positions of responsibility based on who might embody what they both interpret and value as legitimate traits, skills and experience. And this is of particular relevance in the case of opportunities for younger or newer volunteers to be able to gain responsibility and progression in role, which of course could have provided vital experience in the context of employability and development. Um, and so that will naturally debar, kind of freeze out the opportunities for other people who might not have volunteered before or might be kind of fairly new to volunteering, might be quite young as well, who might not be seen to have the experience necessary to um, perform such roles. And John, just, just based on this research and, and other knowledge that you have, of course, how would you advise sport events in terms of volunteering? What, what, uh, what counsel would you give them? We provided uh, a number of potential strategies or, or approaches or potential solutions that could be considered. With mega multi-sport events such as the Olympics, um, it's often built into Olympic bids, for example, that a quarter or a proportion of volunteers will be at least trained up or have the opportunity to to get access to training or the, the, the event volunteer program or the pre-volunteer programs um, and at least 10%, for example, of, of people from maybe lower social backgrounds or working class backgrounds or marginalised backgrounds, for example, would have the opportunity to get involved in these pre-volunteer programs, which help to, to train a volunteer workforce and enthuse them about um, volunteering about the events um, develop their skills, their, their personal development, their employability, but also give them um, a sense of, of, of confidence and a sense of purpose as well. Ideally, you'd want that 10% turning up to your uh, applying and, and getting selected to volunteer at those mega events. That doesn't always happen. But what we don't have typically is for those major events or those single sport events, which are hosted by a specific sporting national governing body, for example. Um, what we don't have is, is pre-volunteer programs that we can use to, to train a variety of, of people from a variety of backgrounds up, give them skills, um, get them used to the culture in, in a particular organisation or that you'd find at, at sport events um, and really help to integrate them into, into what we do as, as, as sport event volunteers and in the operations of, of, those, of those activities and events. I mean, the research does suggest that if you can give um, participants a pre-volunteer, access to a pre-volunteer program, get that experience, and then also once they've had the experience of volunteering at the event, um, so not only have they got the extra skill development and the experience, but they can also be enthused by the euphoria of the event and really enjoy that. Um, and then if you can even add on a third part to that after the event and have some kind of post-games um, a post-event program as well, which helps the organisation keep in touch with the volunteers and keeps those social networks going and also informs them of future opportunities um, to be able to volunteer, then that is a good way or is perhaps a, a good way of maybe recruiting some people who we don't often find volunteering and um, giving them some skills, some confidence, giving them the experience and then trying to keep them in volunteering so they will repeat volunteer in future but we don't necessarily see as many people from lower social classes or more disadvantaged backgrounds coming into to volunteering broadly, in fact, never mind event volunteering. Other things that we suggested, it's not necessarily just a case of orientating um, volunteers from different class backgrounds to the existing culture that exists within an organisation and within um, event volunteering, but also to be more reflexive of that, be more self-critical 
of of the culture that we have and all and, and try to reorientate the culture that that is there to make the culture more aware that actually how diverse are we what do we have to do to become more diverse how do people who aren't from similar backgrounds such um, homogenous backgrounds how do they feel on coming into these contexts and what can we do to support them and really to give them that self-actualization that volunteering is for them they can get some skills and they can even enjoy this and want to do it in future as well and usually those things tend to work from the from the literature those things tend to work pretty well with with younger volunteers um, and there's there's potential with younger volunteers that they will do these things again if they've had a good experience and they've got some personal development from their volunteering opportunities and then one other thing that we were thinking of was was mentoring and maybe providing a buddy with with someone more more senior senior volunteer for example and again what we found was at those kind of senior volunteer levels because these events rely on 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 volunteers right so even the managers many of them are volunteers themselves and these managers will um will be responsible for selecting um, some participants, but also deploying some of the volunteers as well. It's really down to the responsibility of the more senior personnel, of the senior volunteers, to really provide that step change to the culture and the recruitment and the support and the integration of volunteers from, from different backgrounds. So they have to drive this forward. Another thing that we found within the, the research, and it kind of comes back to an aspect of cultural capital. So when I refer to those senior or established volunteers who were quite friendly with each other and who knew each other quite well, they would also catch up with each other at other major events too. Again, developing those relationships, those social networks, social capital effectively, but also obtaining a variety of other volunteering births, event volunteering births, which may monopolize opportunities that could have been really beneficial to those from underrepresented groups, or underrepresented backgrounds in terms of those who don't volunteer very much for gaining up volunteer opportunities at events and experience. John, I think that's a really good advice for sport event uh, organizers for sure. And hopefully they take that on board and we see a lot more inclusivity in, in volunteering in the future. Thanks so much for joining us, John. Thank you. And thanks for listening to Sport Management Review Insights. At the Sport Management Review website, you'll find all the latest research being published, including the article discussed in this episode, exploring the relationship between social class and sport event volunteering. That's it for this episode, but of course, there's plenty more episodes you can download to your favorite podcast player. Until then, it's bye for now.